Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers, welcome to Strangers in a Cinema, a film show in three acts. I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall. Uh, Pete, how are you this Good week? man, you sound positively regal. I love this new intro. Um, happy to be back on the show, man. We have uh, passed a significant milestone in this show and we've kind of like relaunched it slightly. So I'm excited to see how it goes this week. Uh, just the two of us as well. Jack Mills not present in body, but in spirit, surely. Um, as you said, Paul, this is a show now in three acts, and those three acts for today will be Act One, a review of the new uh, comedy, British festival set comedy, The Festival, an original title for that one. Uh, in the second act today, we will run down our top five British comedy movies and specifically Paul contemporary British comedy movies you want to focus on films that have come out since the year 2000 I think is what we basically decided on right yes yeah cool Absolutely. and then moving into act three we're going to look ahead to all the comedy films that are coming out that are of some interest until the end of this year 2018 so that'll give you like a, a sort of set the table for comedy fans for the rest of the year 2018 but before that paul i want to do a yes before before act yeah one. <laughs> before act one a section that we're definitely not calling in the foyer I want to know what you've been watching recently man um we watch an incredibly silly number of films per week um this week for me a little bit less so because i had to suffer the indignity of jetting off to paris for a short break but what paul have you been watching whilst i've been living in well, i haven't been in paris i've been in bath so um yeah not quite as nice but not too shabby in fairness i don't dislike where i live so i shouldn't moan about it um yeah so this week i have been watching uh, a film i've been trying to catch up with some uh, what films that are considered classics that I haven't seen because there are some considerable there are some still glaring gaps in, in what I've watched and as we said there's no harm in that everyone's got gaps in their knowledge so with this in mind uh, I started this catch up with uh, Kubrick's uh, Barry Lyndon from 1975 um, haven't seen it man seen it. I still haven't oh, seen it you sir are missing out what am I missing out on it always seemed like one of the Kubrick films that, that like I don't know I, I hesitated I hesitated and I'll see like there'll be a load of like musos rolling their eyes at me right now but why should we see why should i see well it's movie? just it's i would say almost a very different tone from kubrick it's very i'd say it's very sort of overtly comedic in places it is quite funny uh ryan o'neill basically plays um the, the titular barry linden um who starts off being called another name he's like a sort of uh, a down on his luck sort of irish irish lovable rogue who falls in love with his cousin uh his cousin then falls in love with a, a british army officer uh, and he takes umbrage with that and has a duel with him and then it's kind of kind of it all it all entails from there that's kind of the opening act of this film uh and he's kind of this lovable rogue who blags his way into becoming a very very wealthy gentleman um and it's just the, the story of him story of his sort of rise and inevitably fall uh, but it's just very, very funny. It's incredibly well shot, as you'd expect from Kubrick. I mean, the film looks stunning. He, there's certain uh, shots by candlelight, which he actually, which actually lit by candlelight when he was shooting. So those scenes look incredible. Um, it's just, yeah, technically superb and, and very, very funny. So if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil any more than that. If you haven't seen it, check it out. From a technical perspective, I would say it's, it's one of Kubrick's best films. It's one of the best looking Kubrick films I've seen. And that's high praise. It really is, um, yeah. So yeah, it's not a... I think maybe there's... I think maybe there's... Some people consider it possibly a lesser Kubrick work. Maybe because it's not about such a 
sort of it's not a, it's not such a big grandiose affair as some of Kubrick's other films, but it's certainly not a lesser Kubrick work. Uh, for me, it's one of his best, and I really really liked it. And you should see it post haste, Pete. What else? Uh, Hellbound colon Hellraiser two, Pete. You, <laughs> um, Hellraiser is a film that I am quite fond of. The original Hellraiser, I've always been quite fond of it. I've seen Hellraiser two uh, once many many years ago, and thought I'd sit down and watch this with my wife because again, my wife Laura is quite a fan of the first Hellraiser. Um, this is a film I haven't seen for ages, as I mentioned before. Uh, my lasting memory of this film is it is absolutely bonkers because it moves the action from uh, from Earth uh, to Hell at this time round. So you're on the sort of the Cenobites' home turf. Um, it's it, it's insane, absolutely insane. So the directors in this time round have obviously they've they've had a sequel greenlit, which is great. Uh, they've just gone more, 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 and this film is just it makes very little sense. There's people running around hell trying to rescue her father. There's a girl running around hell trying to rescue her father. It's incredibly gory. It's completely over the top. The story's absolutely nonsense. Uh, but for horror fans, it's a lot of fun. And that review made about as little sense as the film did. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure, like, it's one of those, though, isn't it? Hellraiser 2, that, like, it seems like the niche for that is is staunch fans of Hellraiser, like just out of the gate, because I th I think if you haven't seen, well, firstly, if you haven't seen Hellraiser, why would you jump in at number two? But secondly, because Hellraiser seems to be one of those things with like a rabid uh, fan base that, albeit, is relatively limited, perhaps. I mean, what I, what I will say in this film's defence is that for, for horror fans, there's a lot to like here. I mean, the, to, when I say it, it's crazy, you've got the, the villainous, the villainous doctor in it, Dr. Chenard, uh, who who basically ends up going to hell and gets, and gets oh, what a surprise, gets done over by what looks to be the devil. Uh, and then he ends up sort of floating around hell, uh, attached to what looks like a giant penis that's in his head. Have you seen Hellraiser 2, Pete? You know <laughs> no, what, sir. You know no, sir, I have to. not. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's, it's that out there. And what I'll give it in its defence is like the imagination and the way hell looks and the way the film looks is incredible. Uh, and some of the, the I mean, it's it's grim that the, the imagination. And we're talking very, very dark imagination here. Uh, and the gore is grim, but it's very, very creative. So there's a lot to be said for the film from that perspective in terms of that this this out there horror fantasy setting. But that is at the expense of story, completely at the expense of story. Uh, so yeah, it's one for completion. Is, is there anything with which you can possibly follow um, Hellraiser two? Have you got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I have, very briefly, another film I haven't seen for years. I've been re-watching the Bourne series uh, because I'm lucky enough to own them on 4K now. Uh, and I've got to the Bourne Legacy, which is the Tony Gilroy-directed one from 2012, uh, which doesn't have... Um, f Help me out here, he's a massive star. What's the guy's name? Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon, that's the guy. I'm reaching for Matt Damon's name. Is this the Jeremy uh, Renner this is the Jeremy one, yeah. Renner one, yes. This is the Jeremy Renner one. Uh, so when I watched it, I kind of thought, this is okay. I'm kind of missing Matt Damon here as Jason Bourne. The film is... There's clever moments in the film where it kind of runs... The way they make it run parallel to the events of Bourne Ultimatum, I think, is very clever. Um, and actually, I have to say, with, with age, I think I enjoyed this more second time round. Um, Tony Gilroy is a very, very competent filmmaker, so the film is, is very well shot. Um, there's some great set pieces in the, the great set pieces in here. Jeremy Renner wrestling a wolf uh, is very entertaining, um, and Renner, in fairness, is always for me. I think he's kind of he's very very watchable. I think in anything he's in, he brings a he brings a level of charisma and, and charm to events. And I think the film, despite feeling very superfluous to the rest of the series, and that is still a criticism that would still stand. Actually, 
if you haven't seen it, give it a chance. And if you have seen it, I would say revisit it. Revisit it because for me, it's a better film than I remembered it. Being. Nice, all done. Yes. What have you got? I have got yeah a trio of films um, like yourself, Paul. Uh, I'll get through them very quickly. The first one is The Broken Circle Breakdown, which is one of those films that sort of had a lot of buzz, uh, festival buzz, I believe. Um, and I never caught up with it. It's like five, six years old now. I think it came out 2012, directed by Felix van Groenigen. This one um, was a film that I thought I knew something about and actually knew nothing about. Um, the film charts the burgeoning relationship between a young couple that results in their marriage and then the birth of their child and on from there the decline into ill health of that child um, with I believe leukemia in the film um, it is incredibly sad but what defines the broken circle breakdown and it's possible impossible not to talk about this when you mention this film is that it's non-linear and it's got a kind of fractured narrative so you're constantly jumping back and forth in events in the timeline of these people and their personal unfolding um sort of tornado of tragedy in their lives there are scenes that stand out in this film for for the reason that they've sort of um did that thing that I feel like I say a lot about movies recently maybe it's the age I am I don't know but they just kind of broke me in half there's a a part where the um the young girl who is sick with leukemia has um, found a dead bird outside their family home and she's holding the bird and she's asking her father why is the bird not moving anymore is this bird finished or is something else happening with this bird and you've got this dichotomy of characters the guy is very like facts 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 and his partner is like we could believe that there is something else out there particularly if it helps our daughter through her her sort of worsening illness Um, and all the dad can really say is like well, if you want to believe that something else is going to happen with this bird, then you can do that. But all the time you know that he thinks that there is nothing. And when we die, we are just gone. Um, I really like this movie, man. I really like this movie, but it is not easy going. Um, it's rough. And I know that it's come in for some flack whereby um, elements of the film, particularly the fact that this couple have a sort of walk the liney relationship where they, um, the woman joins the guy's bluegrass band um, as the singer who has apparently suddenly found that she has the voice of like a young Dolly Parton. Um, that element of the story didn't always work for me. The... Um, the couple, particularly the man, is obsessed with American culture. So he has on, this is a Danish film, I believe, by the way. Um, he pops on like news reel of, um, they have like the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Centers and um, they have uh, George Bush speaking out against stem cell research, which then intertwines with what's happening with their daughter. I felt some of that was a little bit heavy handed at times. Um, a bit like the criticism in like Killing Them Softly about how that allegory is like so sort of hammered home with news footage. But there's so much to like about the movie particularly the leading couple um and it and it's one of those where you sort of see uh, something like um blue valentine where you see like the sort of heady highs of love and a relationship and building that or like the the before trilogy perhaps um and then you see just like the horrible pain where that that might crash down or where can we find this pete where did you where did the you broken it? circle breakdown i got from cinema paradiso on disc so it's definitely available okay, so on, on disc available. right now um i don't believe it's streaming on any of the major services services at present um moving on paul from um, horrible heartbreak to uh, more 
kind of horrible heartbreak. Um, I also watched quite recently Journeyman, uh, the Paddy Considine directed uh, boxing veteran movie uh, in which Considine's character receives head trauma when he goes into sort of what seems like his retirement fight. Um, he comes out the victor, but really, the, the, you know, a victor of sorts where he's afflicted by this uh, horrible head injury, which leads to difficulties in a re- his relationship with his wife, who's played by Jodie Whittaker. Um, the, uh, what, to, what to say, man? I mean, when I was a boy, my father had a serious head trauma. Watching this was nay easy. Uh, particularly, though, what I think Journeyman gets right is the depiction of the way in which this kind of a head injury can lead to... Um, both uh, a serious, like considerable humbling of a person, in this case, a, a man known for his physical strength and ability, but then can also lead to erratic behavior and um, lashing out and frustration. And I, it's not a thing that I've seen on screen done this well that often. Uh, and so I think for that, the, the script and, and Paddy Considine in particular deserves immense credit. Um, I Yeah, I really like Journeyman. I really like Paddy Considine. I'm kind of like a, a bit of a um, an acolyte of his anyway. So this was likely to succeed for me. Not that it, maybe everything does. It doesn't matter. I mean, it feels entrenched enough in the boxing world to be authentic on that front. Um, you've even got like Gareth Davies, the guy who works for the Telegraph as a boxing and MMA correspondent in there and, and like some carrier. Steve Bunce is in it, for example. So it feels legit as a boxing movie, although we don't spend much time in the ring. And then it feels legit as a character study as well. So, oh, yeah, I like Journeyman. Can I just jump in there? Because I've seen Journeyman as well. I just think it's um, it is a tour de force of, of acting ability, I think, from both Paddy Constantine and what was the lady's name again? Jodie Whittaker. Um Jodie Whittaker, I think they they are both superb in this film. Um, from my perspective, I think it possibly landed its punches a bit too hard in places. I think it's possibly a little bit overwrought and a bit cloying at times. Um, but but it is an in- incredibly acted film. But when you say like overacted and cloying at times, are you referring to something in particular? Yeah, just I just found the tone, just kind of the whole tone, just a little bit like there were certain scenes where he kind of throws himself with. Well, spoiler warning. Uh, there's certain scenes that happened on the bridge um, and there's certain scenes that happen I just think are a little bit overplayed um, and it, it, I think because it's slightly overplayed it loses some of its impact for me anyway um, in terms of act- the acting is incredible don't get me wrong I yeah, think yeah. it's a very well no it's just film, it's but. just I think that when when we have these discussions we should be sort of like vaguely challenged on on like a, a general point about the film but like I, I kind of I kind of agree with you actually because I think there's a scene for me that um exemplified perfectly what you're talking about which is later in the film uh, Considine's character goes to an award ceremony uh, where he's being acknowledged for his great career and I think Steve Bunce actually introduces that part on stage and um, his wife shows up then to support him because they've been estranged through his putting the baby in the washing machine and stuff like that that he's done before and they have this reuniting sequence which is beautifully beautifully shot beautifully put together and in the background very low you hear that track into my arms the um nick cave uh, track into my arms. It's it's a song that I'm familiar with anyway. It's powerful. I've heard it read as verse at a wedding. It really worked. I thought this is an incredible sequence. And then they make the decision to turn up 
that music to become like an over like slathered over the scene as then it turns into kind of a schmaltzy sequence and I felt like that kind of thing was a bit of a misstep but having said all that don't ever like you know I, I just I just bulk at sort of putting people off seeing things like this because Paddy Constant is such a talent and because this kind of story is important. Oh no, I, I, I agree on that point. And yeah, this story is important. I think, as I said, it's, it's a tour de force of acting. Paddy Constant is, marks himself as a good director. I just think if your first film's Tyrannosaur and then it's followed with this, yeah, this is as I good mean, as Tyrannosaur. But, I but mean, it's still a very good like, film. Yeah, sure. But like one of them's about you know domestic abuse and one of them's about head injury. I mean, I, I, would, I would gobble up anything Paddy Constantine does next if it's at a level of either of those films, to be honest. Oh no, agree. Even, even with reservations. Yes, what have you got next? Sorry. The last one, the, the shortest one I'll do, um, this is from director Jamie Dagg, who I believe has done one other film called River that I haven't seen. It's called Sweet Virginia. Watch it. It's on Netflix. Um, have you seen no. this, Paul? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, very quickly, this tells this story of, uh, at, at the beginning of the movie, there is a murder in a saloon, I guess it would be. We're kind of in the uh, in the South, in, in the States. It's in Virginia, obviously. And um, what we get from there is a story about a character played by John, John Bernthal, um, who is living in a community that uh, is being sort of uh, harassed by the best iteration of the actor Christopher Abbott that I've ever seen. You know, Christopher Abbott's this guy who was in, like, It Comes at Night. Yes. Um, do you know the guy? He's quite handsome, dark-haired actor. This guy is the story with Sweet Virginia. Like, yes, it's a role that he would have been rubbing his hands at, but he gets to play this kind of Anton Chigurh figure who's, like, got serious, serious personality defects, just kind of violently explodes at the drop of a hat. Uh, the thing is, like... A sensationally well shot it's one of those films that like I thought oh this is cropped up on Netflix it might even be semi-supported by Netflix and maybe it's going to fall into that category of sort of vague mediocrity that we get from a lot of those I don't think overall the film works dramatically as much as it works as just a showcase for both Christopher Abbott and this director Jamie Dagg who does a great job of pulling off a, a real sense of like atmosphere and foreboding maybe a little bit like what you might say about something like it come night where like i don't remember many of the sequences in that film but i remember the the feeling yeah, the that it generated the thing, yeah. and and that's something that's really special i think in a in a filmmaker also we've got imogen poots in here and i always like her and we've got rosemary dewitt who i i look out for all the time so um yeah check it out sweet virginia it's good it's it's kind of violent and angry but um i think yeah a lot of the people who listen to this might enjoy it um, I think that brings us to the end of this little roundup, Paul, and that means that we can come back in just a moment with Act One. And yes, um, back we are with Act One. So, as Pete explained at the beginning of the episode, so Act One will be what what you, we used to refer to as a feature review, Pete. In all fairness, so this will be a feature review of a film that we have watched this week. Uh, this week it is The Visitor. Pete, do you want to set this one up for us? The Visitor. It's the festival. What am I talking about, Pete? I don't know. You've what lost am I your talking mind. about? What is the Visitor? Yeah, is that is that M Night Shyamalan thing? Um, <laughs> 
I yeah, think so, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's sort of the visitor. It's the visitor to a festival, and that visitor... To a festival, yeah. yeah. Uh, that visitor is played by uh, Joe Thomas. The film is, of course, called The Festival. Uh, Joe Thomas, people will instantly recognise as one of the lads from The Inbetweeners. Uh, and here, again, we've got the director just searching for the director's name... Um, this one directed by Ian Morris. Ian Morris uh, worked on both In Between Us movie one and two, and I think may have been involved in the series as well. So he's well versed in the kind of um, comedy stylings of the In Between Us movies, although we have here different writers, different screenwriters to those who wrote the In Between Us movies. Uh, Joe Thomas' character in this is basically the same character that he is in the In Between Us. We can get that out of the way straight away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little right, bit yeah. the yeah. same character that he was in Fresh Meat as well. We can also get that out of the way. He's good at doing that character. The character is a kind of put-upon, slightly awkward guy who also has aspirations to be um, confident around women and generally sort of witty and entertaining even though most people find him relatively frustrating and or boring um what happens here is he and his buddy decide that they're going to attend a festival just after they graduate from university but the spanner in the works is that joe joe uh Tom, i want to call him not actually his character in this movie i don't know what his character is called uh hold on uh nick Nick, the Joe Thomas character, is uh, summer or lick, in fact, <laughs> or lick. Yeah, is summarily broken up with by the girl that he thought he would be spending the rest of his life with. Feels a little bit like what happened in the Inbetweeners, doesn't it, Paul? Um, and at that point, he has to be persuaded by his buddy Shane, who's played by an actor called Hamed Animashwan, who I didn't know much about, if anything, before this movie. Uh, they head off in the end to go to a festival, and on the way to the festival, they bump into to Amy, who is a festival veteran played by the Australian stand-up comic Claudia O'Doherty, who seems a little bit kooky, a little bit fun. Uh, one of them is more enthusiastic about spending time with her than the other. Before we get into our thoughts on the movie and the time that they spend at this festival, here's a little clip. This is what festivals are all about. Harry Potter! What? <laughs> Harry Potter! I don't think anything like him. Harry Potter! <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, there's going to be three days of this. <laughs> Crowds are not fun. Don't touch my dick. Claustrophobia is not fun. You're pissing. Yeah. I just want to go home, have a proper shower and a poo. So yeah, so the festival, I think the first thing I'll say about this film is that it it absolutely nails the feel of a mu being at a music festival and the kind of nonsense and shenanigans that people get up to at these festivals. Like for me, there are certain scenes in this film which... I'm not going to share which which scenes, listeners, because that would put my name into uh, ill repute. There's a number of scenes in this film where I have done very, very similar things at festivals uh, and spent festivals in a very, very similar state to a lot of the characters in this film. So to off off the bat, I think the one thing this film does particularly well is nail the feel of a festival. Pete, what do you what do you think? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, they they shot the thing at Leeds Festival, I believe, last summer and then sort yeah. of like added some bells and whistles to make it seem more like Glastonbury, where it's probably more expensive to shoot this kind of film um and yeah I, I think you're right i mean i yeah like i went to not leeds but it's 
sister brother festival at Reading for five years in a row from the age of like 16 years old onwards and um, so yeah a lot of this rings true and they're kind of like even just like little details that people who haven't been to festivals I'm not talking about like all the big gross out set pieces but like uh, you know the feeling that you get when you wake up in the morning and you're horrendously hungover and you're in a tent and it's like an oven and yeah all those kinds of things will I think ring true and I heard that even coming out of the screening people going like oh it's pretty much like being at a festival I think though um, first of all I, I would say that I think we need to get over the fact that people seem hung up on like oh it's just rehashing the in-betweeners yeah it's rehashing the in-betweeners okay so what, what's your point uh, do you enjoy that kind of thing if you do you will like this very much if you do not like I've heard people review this film and say like oh it's as terrible as the in-betweeners which was awful and it's like well if you don't like the in-betweeners why have you gone to see this like, why have you gone to see it? Because it is so... Like, the trailer made clear this is so much of a piece with those films. If you like that sensibility, that sense of humour, then you're in the right place, otherwise you're not. Um, Claudia O'Doherty, Paul, is what I want to talk about because Claudia O'Doherty is this, um, yeah, as I said, Australian uh, stand-up comedian, but she is also Birdie in the show Love, which is on, on Netflix with uh, Gillian Jacobs. And when we watched that show, I said to uh, my fiancé that... She needs her own spin-off. Like this, uh, whatever it is, this actress or this character needs her own spin-off. And here she doesn't <laughs> quite get that, but she almost does. I think she might be the standout of the entire film. What, what did you feel about this this actress, Paul? I think yeah, I think she's she's great in the film. And in, in all fairness, as he as his the um guy the guy supporting, which I've completely you said his name earlier. I've completely forgotten his name. Let's, let's call him Hamed because his surname is Hamed. Yeah, let's call him Hamed. Uh, so yeah, he's. I thought his performance was superb, and I think the, the cast the cast bring a lot of energy. Um, and especially um, what, Rosie O'Doherty did you say her name was? Claudia O'Doherty Claudia, especially Claudia O'Doherty yeah they bring a lot of energy to it which I think carries the film through for me some of its some of its weaker moments um, it's interesting what you say about the, the sort of in-betweeners comparisons and yes they are there I actually kind of I was one of the people that fell out with the in-betweeners as, as the series went on so I think I liked series one and then didn't enjoy series two and three as much because it all got a bit samey and what I will say to those comparisons here is they are here they are fair and I, I, I agree with you you kind of you would know whether you're going to like this film going into it before you go into it I think for me uh, as I wrote in my review on, on Letterboxd the, the the gag the gags here are about as inconsistent as a lineup at a British music festival I think some what works here is great and I, I found myself going oh this is there's moments and I think probably for the from, for most of the second half I found myself really enjoying this for a lot of the first half I think it's a lot of the the kind of the cheap gross out gags that you have seen elsewhere just didn't really hit for me. That's not to say that's not, I, again, I expected them to be there, but it doesn't mean I have to necessarily laugh at them. And I think even, I think that some of them could have been, I think the film could have done without some of those things and still been as a complete work without um, it. Personally. You you have erred though in the fact that if you criticise the first half, you're implicitly criticising a sequence in which Jermaine Clement, who's in this movie, uh, is <laughs> is discovered listening with windows closed to Crowded House as he sings along to I think it's uh, Always Take the Weather maybe, uh, and then proceeds to leave to take the lads off to the festival by doing a five point turn in a tiny cul de sac whilst trying to rock out to Crowded House, which was one like which. 
just yeah. it, that, that just like That's that just like punched me right in the comedy gut. I, I loved it. I don't know. It was it was like the specificity of the band that you've chosen with this guy with his personality. <laughs> I thought it was perfect. Also, um, yeah, I maybe on the gross out thing. I don't know. Like there are stuff that the in between as movies did where I kind of thought I don't find this as funny as uh, maybe some people do. Uh, like the the water slide sequence in in, in between as two i guess that is um yeah maybe not didn't work so much for me by and large here i think that i was fine with those um things there's one there's one that involves a druid circle that i just felt like that that bit was uh, they they got some laughs out of it or like some, some peripheral laughs from it but the actual thing at the center of that just felt like a bit yeah. wanton and a bit like yeah i don't i think i just i think the film was for when the film works i think it's it's good enough not it's there's enough there's enough material there from a festival to not necessarily need these these gross out gags and i think they also my other my other slight criticism of the film is the fact it's a film called the festival so surely it should have just opened up with them arriving at the festival and closed with them leaving the festival. I don't really understand the whole preamble bit personally. Yeah, but that's I no, I can I completely disagree. I completely disagree with that point, Paul, because you've been, as you said at the top, you've been to a bunch of festivals. The festival experience is not about arriving at the festival only. The festival experience is about like thinking about it, planning for it, talking about it, getting hyped so, about actually, it. Yeah. And so like all the stuff that... Um, Nearly crashing your car driving to a festival, which I did. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and this uh, Shane character, the mate who's really got to pump Nick up to actually want to go because he's all heartbroken and sort of cry-wanking in his uni room... Um, that that guy is obsessed with this one DJ called Hammerhead, and so a lot of the the first sequences are him sort of talking up how much he wants to see Hammerhead. When they do the reveal, I didn't know about it, and it turns out it's actually in the trailer, and I'd missed it. When they do the reveal of who Hammerhead actually is, uh, that was a, a real treat for comedy fans uh, as well, I, I think. And that yeah. whole bit was played for for quite a lot of laughs. So yeah, I I don't know, man. Like I feel that as I scanned down some of the reviews of this movie I did have that feeling and it's easy to have this feeling and maybe it's a bit lazy of me to have this feeling but like sometimes I hate people doing film criticism I just I just hate it I'm just not interested in it because because it becomes so <laughs> joyless and so like oh a bit of this and some of that and there were some good points but there were some bad points like this was a load of people fucking about at a festival there, there were funny jokes in it it made me laugh um, I'll forget about it quite quickly um, but you know I'll keep looking out for, for Claudia O'Doherty obviously because she's amazing um, you know what do you want? Jermaine Clement has an absolute doozy of a role in a film. Uh, the person who plays Hammerhead is in it. Uh, I, there's just so much here that makes me think like, let's let's not complain too much. You know, let's just not complain. Let's be thankful that this kind of movie can come out in the late summertime and and pick us all up as we kind of move into that period of the year which will be a bit darker where the days will be a little bit shorter uh yeah i'm all for it i don't know i mean yeah i kind of i think i'm, I'm mostly with you i think when it as i said first half i kind of sat there in the cinema i was like i don't think i'm going to enjoy this this is going to feel like a very very long film and then i came out genuinely it was like do you know what that was a, a lot of fun and I, I came out having enjoyed it and going yeah definitely watch that if you just yeah, it's worth checking out. It's not great, but it's worth checking do you out. Know, do you know, by the way, it, like eternally boy-like Joe Thomas is 34 years of age. 
Um, so he's a university graduate here who is 34. But like, it's not like one of those American casting things because he genuinely he look looks it. Like he looks 22 or whatever. And then last little uh, tip in this film, um, his real life partner is Hannah Toynton, who's the girl he breaks his heart in the movie. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And but the thing is, you'd think like, oh, if you look at photos of them when they're not on set, he'll look like a kind of suave actor type. No, yeah, yeah. he looks the same. He no. looks exactly the same <laughs> with a little goatee that he grows occasionally. So yeah, but more power to Joe Thomas, um, and he'll go on and do this character again probably in another project. <laughs> yeah, another for project. Sure, yeah. I reckon like about thirty-eight, and then all of a sudden he'll look like a thirty-eight-year-old, and he'll he'll do like Equus or, or whatever the serious role is. All of a sudden he'll look like me, and then his career's over. <laughs> <laughs> You're a boy-looking. <laughs> guy Paul don't put yourself down so uh, that rounds up our thoughts on the festival we will be back in just a moment with act two where we count down our top five contemporary British comedy films This is exciting, Pete. I'm excited. We've we've done a top ten last week. We're doing a top five this week. I'm I'm excited. I like a list, man. Top top five British comedy, contemporary British comedy films. As we have, we we kind of we were kind of trying to what lock down what contemporary meant, and we've been having a chat off air about what contemporary meant, and we settled for post two thousand horror films. So not horror films. I know what I'm talking about today. Film com, British comedy. The films line is so so thin. So thin yes. between horror yes. and comedy. The visitor is in all of my. The visitor is in all of my positions in this. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so top five British comedy films since two thousand. The other stipulation we had because certainly my list. If we'd done this, my list probably would have had three of the corn. All three of the Cornetto trilogy in it. So we've not allowed ourselves to have more than one pick from Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. We don't know each other's list going in. I will, I will hasten to add, and that's something we, when we do this list going forward, we will make you aware that we don't know each other's list. So if this is the same top five, then we can only apologise. Can I just, can I just um, point something out, Paul? Uh, maybe it's a little bit like behind the curtain here, but I hasten to add is a phrase that you never ever use when you're not on microphone. In the in the world, oh, really? you never say this phrase, <laughs> but then you hasten to add stuff all over the place when we're doing the podcast. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We've got this list um, from 2000 till now. We don't know who is talking about what. Um, we'll whip through them at haste, I guess. Um, we'll hasten to add more and more of our, our thoughts and then maybe give a little bit more time to like the top couple in the in the list. We'll see how it goes. Paul, what have you got at number five? Uh, the Bunny and the Ball, uh, which is Paul King from 2009. You may well know Paul King from directing the quite excellent Paddington Bear movies recently and previously to Bunny and the Ball he was a creative force and director behind The Mighty Boosh um, this film I think got a bit of a bad rap when it came out because I love this film uh, it stars Simon Farnaby and Edward Hogg um, who kind of are just victims of an appalling road trip around Europe um, and being that it's from the guy behind The Mighty Boosh the road trip around Europe is incredibly incredibly surreal uh, and actually, in fairness, I can see possibly some of the criticisms because the two characters in this look and act very similar to the guys from The Mighty Boosh. Um, Julian Barrett turns up in this, as does Noel Fielding, you'd be pleased to know. Um, and it's just, for me, it's just very, very charming. I won't, I won't spoil any of the events because you need to go into this kind of material cold, I think. Um, it's just, I, I cried at the end, actually, I have to say. It's one of those films that made me laugh and made me cry in almost equal measure. Uh, and there's not much comedy that I think can do that. So... I know it got. I know it didn't get great reviews when it came out, and it kind of disappeared without a trace. But if you haven't seen the Bunny and the Ball, 
I very much urge you to find it, especially as you should know the strengths of Paul King as a director by now looking at the Paddington film. So yeah, The Bunny and the Ball, my pick at number yeah, five. Yeah, it's a strong one, man. I, I didn't see that until about a year ago, maybe even less, um, but I liked it very much. And uh, you've made me think now that I should have bumped my number five and probably put in Paddington too, but never mind. I'll give you another two for my number five. Um, it's going to be controversial maybe given something you said earlier on, Paul. Uh, I've gone for In Between Us, the movie, number two, or In Between Us 2, the movie, <laughs> or however it was actually titled the reason being that i really like the inbetweeners first of all because they chime so accurately a bit like what with festival like it chimes so much with going to secondary school in the uk is very specific uh, the way that you mercilessly like take the piss out of all of your best friends to the point of being just outright horrible is a fundamentally British thing to do. Um, and so that sort of pervades through all of the in between a series. But then I thought the first movie, although good, was bettered by the second one. And the reason is that not all of the second movie works. Like I said before, I don't really like maybe the, the water slide scene as much as everybody else seems to, but like, the kind of way in which they managed to get the J character so right in this film. Not the stuff with the like fantasy sequence of all the women that he bangs and all that, which is a bit like off color and stuff, but like the the sad kind of desperation of this guy who just wants to be accepted into the heart of a girl who has ultimately already moved on, but he's like going to move heaven and earth to get back to her. Even though this is the same girl that previously he's completely written off in the, it's making me kind of laugh as I think about it in the sequence, I think in the series where like he's trying to uh, say that he doesn't care about her whilst crying at the same time. Um, yeah. The, the other thing that really stands out about in between us two is how great the will character is in this movie, because he gets this sequence where he goes to like a, I don't know if you remember this, Paul, the like unburdening ceremony they have in like a, an old, uh, what would you even call it, like a teepee. And they all have to sit there and they have to unburden. As you're talking, I realise I've never seen in between us. Oh, okay. So I won't, I won't re refer you <laughs> back to that sequence. Well, okay. So they, they do this unburdening where like all these incredibly wanky, like spiritual-esque spiritual or faux-spiritual kind of traveller, free-spirited folk are around him. And just the way you see like every part of him curling up in like agony and disgust is, is one of the, the finest like pieces of, of comedy acting I think he's done in the entire series so yeah I think this is the better of the two uh, feature films I think that they get so much right here and like well lastly of all sequence wise there's a, a part where they think that it's the end and these guys are stranded in the outback and there's no hope of say being saved they have no water they have no food at one point to get fluid they have to go to a pretty desperate um, and disgusting uh, level and like it does a thing that's going to come up I guess through this list for me which is where comedy can punctuate the most desperate situations and be all the funnier for it. So, yeah, I don't know. I stand by it. In Between Us 2 is really good. What have you got, number four? Uh, number four, I've got Sightseers, uh, Ben Wheatley's incredibly black comedy from 2012. So, so Paul, can I can I just jump on board? Because yep. I've also got Sightseers at number four. Have you? Okay, well, then that, this, well, this, this makes this section a little bit quicker then, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yes, this stars... Um, Alice Lowe and Steve Aram as a 
Well, I've I've basically written this down as a holiday in couple with murderous intentions. <laughs> yeah, I've written it down as an, an erotic odyssey in the Yorkshire, Yorkshire countryside. So yeah, one or both of those things. Uh, yeah, g- carry on. I just think there's there's not many films like this out there, and I think you know uh, I'm a bigger Ben Wheatley fan than you are, uh, but I think this is Ben Wheatley at his best. To be honest, I think this is at his bleak best. There's not really another film out like that, so it is the way the way in which it subtly leads you to what is actually going on and what this couple are actually up to is brilliant. Because initially you kind of feel, is this accidents happening? They're just having a terrible time on holiday. Is this bad luck? And you're like, oh no, no, I see what's happening here. These two are absolute evil bastards. Um, and just the 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 way the Alice Lowe Steve around interaction in this, the chemistry between the two of them, I think is brilliant. And I think she she's great. I love her to bits. Uh, she's probably never better than in. Uh, she's great in everything, but she is, I think, on blistering form in this. And yeah, it just yeah, black comedy's always been a, a, a thing of mine, and this is especially good at it. Pete, do you want to add anything? Or uh, I, I wanted to add that I've um, just finished watching the second series of Flowers, and Alice Lowe crops up in that as well. And, yes, and maybe more does, more yes. on that later. But um. Yeah, uh, what do I want to add to your thoughts? Well, I, I do want to bulk slightly at the idea that you're a bigger Ben Wheatley fan because I think although that is true, I go kind of film by film on a director like Ben Wheatley. Yeah. I think that like earlier on, um, particularly around the time of like Kill List and Sightseers in particular, um, I became a very big fan of Ben Wheatley and I was really excited for what he was doing next. And like my anticipation of, of a movie like High Rise was sky high. I thought you didn't like Kill List for some reason. Maybe I've missed someone else then. No, my I really, apologies. really like, you know, I really like Kill List. Um, I really like Kill List. This is savage, that film. But yeah, I really like it. Um, but then, yeah, High Rise was a kind of um, pluses and minuses for me. And then you know how I feel about Free Fire and I just it just didn't work for me at all. But yeah, um, I, I think that this does such a good job of kind of walking that line between like laugh out loud funny moments and just the most jet black of situations. And the fact that this couple is so insular that like anybody who dare interact with them, come into their path, or for example, challenge them to pick up their own dog shit <laughs> is probably is probably going to end up murdered in the like most Ben Wheatley-ish of ways. Where like the big, one of the big strengths I think of Ben Wheatley is that he is a director who is very comfortable with showing more than you thought he might show or running the camera for longer than you thought he might run the camera so that it becomes uncomfortable and it kind of tests the audience to find at which point am I laughing at which point do I feel just a bit sick a bit depressed a bit uh yeah there's a lot going on with sightseers and it was one of those where I walked out of the cinema and I just thought like this kind this film is one of the examples of why I love watching movies and i can't really give films higher praise than that so yeah great pick um by both of us pat ourselves on the back yes well done us uh right number three then i've got a feeling there's going to be some more crossover in this list pete but we should we shall see and number three i have in the loop directed by armando Iannucci from 2009 uh pete is this on your list or is this is this higher up it, lower it down, is actually not, on, not on my list um uh, okay. and i will mention it but yeah it's not on my list carry on cool okay that makes it easier then uh so this is um sort of loosely well it's based on characters from the quite brilliant political tv show the thick of it um written by Amanda Iannucci starring Peter Capaldi as uh well there's there's many good people in this but Peter Capaldi definitely steals the show as Malcolm Tucker uh and this basically takes the action of the thick of it onto the international stage um 
and it is quite frankly superb it's so well written it's very very snappy it's very very funny as you'd expect from Mondo Iannucci uh, it features again it features Peter Capaldi as Malcolm Tucker facing down a US general played by James Gandolfini which is one of my favourite scenes um, of British comedy in recent years hence why it's in this list uh, so yes uh, I'll keep it brief very very snappy very very clever incredibly well written I'm very well acted if you haven't seen In the Loop and uh, my girl's it. in it as well uh, I yes what's her name Chomsky. I can't remember her full name, but uh, yeah, uh, Anna Chomsky. Anna Chomsky. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I love it. It's only just missed the list, um, and for a very particular reason, which I'll get to in a minute. But yeah, in the loop it is great, and in the loop also um, makes me think of a tie back to Flowers. I guess like a lot of things will, being that it's a, a important British comedy series at the moment. But uh, the fact that, um, of course, in the thick of it, or the thick of it that you mentioned, the TV series on which the film was based. Um, starred Chris Langham and then everything that happened to Chris Langham happened and it turns out that the director Will Sharp who directed Flowers his first feature stars Chris Langham do you know that it was the first person who put any faith in him after he was released from prison so that's a story for another time um at number three for me Paul is uh, well a story that was going to be for no time until uh, Michael Winterbottom got his hands on it that is a cock and bull story a cock and bull story is uh, it's called uh, Tristram Shandy and the Cock and Bull Story if you give it its full title is a film that stars Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon before they started just going around European cities eating stuff and having nice drinks and having extortionately expensive experiences whilst doing impressions and being really really funny and making everybody else jealous uh, in this film though they are already established as like these rivals have you seen this movie Paul? Yeah it, uh, not for a quite a long time so it hasn't really stuck in my head I have to say I remember liking it but beyond that yeah, I'm in your hands okay so the, the basic <laughs> it's difficult to say basic setup about a film given what I'm about to say but the, the film is uh, about an attempt to film an unfilmable book it's an 18th century novel about every moment of the life of a character called Chris, uh, Tristram Shandy including the time before Tristram was born so like when he, there's narration when he's in the belly of his mother, for example, uh, it's directed by Michael Winterbottom, as I said, it stars Steve Coogan, Rob Bryan, uh, Gillian Anderson. But then Steve Coogan here is Steve Coogan playing Tristram Shandy and Tristram Shandy's dad, whilst also trying to escape the shadow of like the Alan Partridge persona. So this is like very meta. It's referenced directly that he is known for being Alan Partridge in the pieces of the film in which they're on set between takes making this movie about the novel Tristram Shandy. Um, both Coog and Rob Brydon are on fantastic form, as you would expect. Although back at the time when this came out, which I think it was 2006 perhaps, uh, Rob Brydon was much, much less well known than now. Maybe 2006 is the wrong year. I don't know. I have to double check. But yeah, it's a good decade ago um rob bryden's character in this has trouble when they tell him that he's working with Gillian anderson because he has a thing for her sexually which is like a thing i think that people of a certain generation can all relate to in a very well yeah simon peck has that thing doesn't he where he talks he talks about masturbating over Gillian anderson pictures in space as well so and right. i think he met her and felt very awkward after he said yeah that line, so. absolutely um 
yeah and then i don't know there's there's so much to enjoy like um in this movie his tristram's wife becomes pregnant but or is she pregnant they go to the doctor they find out that well they say is it a boy or a girl and the doctor says it's neither it's a phantom only and they find out that basically she has wind and that's the reason why she thought she was pregnant (laughs) but the reason why tristram shandy is upset is not because really he's lost out on the idea that he was going to have a child it's the fact that he um will lose a crop of plums that um, he was attempting to grow at the time. Uh, Dylan Moran in this plays uh, Doctor, who is responsible for like um, the, the helping to birth a child, which in itself is just inherently funny because Dylan Moran like always presents as this like bumbling, incompetent, like he is in in Black Books or something like that. Uh, it's very smart. It's very funny. Uh, against really really significant odds, it works incredibly well for me. Um, yeah, that it will. Some people will really, really dislike the movie because of it being so many layers of like reference um, to other things and to itself. But for me, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, yes. So my number two is Four Lions uh, by Chris, directed by Chris Morris from 2010. Um, yeah, uh, Four Lions for me is just. Chris Morris has always been somewhat of a hero of mine. If you go back to Brass Eye in the day-to-day, there are very few, in my opinion, Pete, funnier people than Chris Morris that exist on this planet, if any. I just think he, he's incredible. He's incredibly brave at the topics that he covers. You just have to look at the very controversial episode of Brass Eye to see that. And he manages to find... He manages to successfully find very funny comedy in the sort of the darkest reaches of society. Um... And Four Lions is no is no different to that. Uh, you probably will be aware of the concept of Four Lions. It's a comedy uh, based around a cell of suicide bombers. Um, so yeah, controversial would be would be the touchstone here. Um, but what he manages to do, he manages, as I said, he manages to make it very very funny. He manages to bring actually sort of some heart and emotion to what could be what could be a very very dry and very very awful subject. He does it he does it in such a way where. He certainly doesn't glamorise the, the the terrorists by by any stretch, uh, but and he pokes fun at the terrorists in a very very effective and very very silly way. But also, I think there's there's scenes later in the film, certainly at the at the the carnival march where the police kind of shoot the wrong people because they think they're terrorists. He aim, he kind of aims the knife at everyone as everyone else as well about the blind panic of how the police are doing things, and I think it's important to have a balance. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a film that was just it took would take some balls to put this out. Uh, but it's just so well put together. Like it, it should almost the bits of this it just shouldn't work. And I think it would anyone other than Chris Morris probably couldn't have made Four Lions, and certainly not made Four Lions uh, the film that it is. Pete, you've seen Four Lions, I take it. I have, Paul. More on that later. Yes. Oh, I see. Right, so I see what's coming. Uh, right. In which case, so that's Four Lions for me. That's my number two. Uh, Number two for me then, Paul, is um, just a year away, a year removed, I think, from the release of this movie. Uh, the Death of Stalin is my number two. Uh, another um, Iannucci. Another Iannucci pick. It is, yeah. And I, I guess the reason why In the Loop didn't make it onto the list is because I had Iannucci so high yeah. um, with this. This is... Um, co-written and directed by Amando Iannucci and uh, yes the death of Stalin it deals with the power vacuum up in the 
wake of the dictator uh, Stalin's death, would at least demise. It's kind of the last days of his life. And the lengths that all the people around him are prepared to go to in order to like benefit from his passing and also just protect their necks. Like just also not get killed. A lot of this movie is about trying to just not do something or do something that will make sure that you don't end up being one of the people who is getting summarily executed all over the place. Um, this stars Steve Buscemi, Olga Kurilenko, uh, Paddy Considine, again mentioned here. Uh, Simon Russell Beale's really good in this. Jeffrey Tambor, maybe my standout, and Michael Palin, Paul Whitehouse. I mean, the cast alone is just astonishing for like fans of British comedy, for fans of comedy in general, for fans of acting. I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. Um, what else have I got to say about it? Oh, standout scenes. There are many. Um, I picked like one or two. Uh, there is the like bit where he's on the deathbed. Uh, Stalin's on his deathbed and everybody is crowded around him and he's sort of like wagging finger randomly around the room and they all lean in because they say well maybe he's picking his successor and then as soon as his finger falls on <laughs> the woman the one yeah. woman who's like the wet nurse or whatever they say oh oh may maybe not that maybe not that but then they decide oh he's pointing at the painting and then uh jeffrey tambor chimes in and he say says he's saying I'm the lamb. And then somebody else follows up with, maybe he's the milk. And then White House's line is, maybe you're the tit. Which is like a, a, an easy joke, but it very, very well delivered. Um, also, uh, and finally, the bit that stood out for me was when they find Stalin on the ground. Um, he's fallen down and maybe he's passing away in front of their eyes. And each of the men around him, each of his sort of generals and stuff, realises in a second, this is the moment where I need to show that I'm more upset than everybody else in the room. So they all go into like histrionics and like overplaying how they apparently purport to feel about the death of this uh, guy. And then you get like others entering the room and uh, the film uses, uh, uh, Iannucci uses slow motion, where the first person who enters in slow-mo shouts, out of my way, you fannies. And this is followed up with uh, White House's slow-mo line, which is, where's the big fella? And then I'm not sure if it's him or someone else saying, are we late? Sorry. And it's like a gag about slow-mo dialogue. I mean, there's a lot going on in The Death of Stalin. I need to watch it again well, as well. Jay, I think I've seen it twice. You've not mentioned Jason Isaacs. Jason his Isaacs, yeah. He just even, steals every scene he's in. He's great in this. Um, yeah, no, Death of Stalin's great. And I think, yeah, I may have made my list, but you kind of like, I've already had Nianucci in there. Does Yeah, the, yeah. incredible filmmaker, though. Incredible filmmaker. Good to see him twice in the list, to be fair. So, yes. So... Um, uh, Paul, that brings you to number, bring one. to number one. What has made I you number make one? no apologies for this being a cliched pick that's probably at the top of every bloody best comedy since 2000 list you've ever ever seen. This is Edgar Wright's, quite frankly, incredible Shaun of the Dead. Um, I just love this film with just so, just so, I just love this film a lot. Like, it is in this in many ways it's kind of spaced the movie. They've, they've taken, they've, they've almost, the character tropes are very similar. They've renamed the characters for Shaun of the Dead, but and it is kind of an expansion on an episode of Spaced where they take loads of speed and play Resident Evil uh, and think zombies are attacking them. It's a great episode. If you haven't seen Space, definitely see Space. It's great. Um, but for me, this kind of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg at the, at the height of their powers. Um, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant send up of zombie films, but at the same time, it's a very effective horror in its own right. Some of the set pieces are genuinely quite scary. 
the makeup, the gore effects, the makeup on the zombies is great. And just to to be able to sort of uh, sort of take the piss out of Lampooner genre, but also pay so much homage to it at the same time shows a big, a big, big love and a big, big passion for films. And Edgar Wright has clearly got that, and I think that that shines through uh, in in every frame of of Shaun of the Dead. And I just, yeah, I think it's an incredible film uh, and deserves to be remembered as such. I think there's a, there's a lot been said about Shaun of the Dead. I won't say too much about it because we've all seen it many, many times, but it remains. Hand on Heart, one of my favourite ever comedy films. It's great. If I'm not mistaken, it was a long time ago, but they got the release window so right that they released Shaun of the Dead at the same time as the uh, remake release of Dawn of the Dead. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so I remember naively going to the cinema without pre-booking and then Shaun of the Dead had sold out, so I went to the Dawn of the Dead remake instead, which is fine. It, it is, is pretty fine, good, yeah, yeah. But, but it's, not, uh, Shaun it's not Shaun of the Dead. No, it's no. a great pick. And to be honest, I left it off the list partly because I knew that it would be on your list, so I thought it would give us different things to well, talk as about. Soon as, I said, as soon as I said we can't have all three Cornetto films, that kind of gave away that at least one would be on my list. So. Yeah, and yeah. It, is, yeah. it is, and judging by it, number one on your list, it is yours too, but it is my favourite of that trilogy as well. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Number one. I wonder what your number one is. Pete. Yeah, it, it's shrouded in mystery. Drum roll, please. My number one is the Chris Morris uh, feature comedy film Four Lions. The reasons that you've given, Paul, I think, are solid, and and I would only add a couple of things. Um, just to mention that the, the people who actually star in this thing: Riz Ahmed, Kaiva Novak, Asher Ali, Julia Davis is like one of my well, Julian Barrett's wife, but also one of my favourite comedic actresses of all time um, and Nigel Lindsay who plays like the white jihadi guy who um, is you know, just fantastic I have watched a load of this film back before we did this list um, yeah th- just things that stand out in the movie again I guess like um, the the uh, propaganda video that they're trying to make for these terrorists you know to strike fear into the hearts of the infidels and stuff like that where they um have second man which is the Kayvan Novak kind of like idiot character chiming in where um I think it's Riz Ahmed's characters talking making this sort of analogy about the decadent west and McDonald's and how everybody's like feeding up on their McDonald's and it's all filling them with rubbish and then Kayvan Novak jumps in to say yeah because like if you're going to go to McDonald's you already made a mistake why don't you go to Chicken Cottage because then you can get a proper halal chicken for just six ninety nine, and it's like that's his thing about this analogy that needs to be underlined. Uh, yeah, obviously the line that comes back to me more than any other in the movie is simply "swallow the sim cards," which I just, yeah. <laughs> it just makes me laugh on impact. Uh, swallow the sim cards, and I'd forgotten in the movie actually that there is also the sequence with "swallow the car key." where where uh, yes. the Nigel Lindsay character decides that if he's not allowed to come on the trip, he's going to pull the car over and swallow the car key. At which point the lads in the car say, right, frog him. As if that's a thing <laughs> that people know about. And they tie him up with his knees up to his chest like a frog. Um, finally, I guess, sequence-wise, the, the part where they're talking about, um, again, the, uh, the Riz Ahmed, Kyvan Novak central characters, they're talking about like whether they would kill each other and um, then Kaiva Novak is like, yeah, well, I would kill you. Uh, when it's revealed that the one of the things that you get for, for committing such an act is like to, to achieve the kind of paradise that you want, including, of course, and famously, Rubber Dingy Rapids. And as soon as he knows that he might be able to go to Rubber, rubber Dingy Rapids, like he starts listing very detailed ways in which he would kill apparently his best friend, 
Um, there's also a fake suicide vest uh, hip hop freestyle bit that's amazing. There's so much that's amazing in this film. And like you said, Paul, so rightly, what Chris Morris achieved with this is in an incredible like high wire act because don't ever like no one can make a mistake here chris morris does not think terrorism is funny chris morris does not no, think you know a, not at all. A, a, human atrocities are in any way funny what is funny is the the brittle fabric of these idiot people and not just idiot terrorists idiot people in general and the plans that people make and how flawed we are and how deluded we are and how misinformed we are and this goes across you know many different areas of society but it's so perfectly encapsulated in this film and what it does is like just punctures what was a building and building and building atmosphere of fear in this country and abroad that we're not safe on our own streets that there are people who are the devil who are like demons amongst us who are out to kill us and sever our heads on film or whatever and Chris Morris film is not going to fix that and is not going to make people not scared anymore. But at the same time, it reminds us that we have something, many things more in common than we have apart. And one of the great things that bonds us together is, is just laughing at people swallowing SIM cards to try not to be tracked by the cops. So yeah, I, I adore Four Lions. And like the only down here is that there hasn't been another Chris Morris feature since this. And we need one, really. Um, yes, so yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, lastly, lastly, and I promise the last point. Like saying all this about like comedy in the list, some of the picks that we've both made dealing with darkness and, and and dark issues. As I mentioned to you earlier, Paul, I've just finished the second series of Flowers, which is a series of a of a show that is essentially built around a psychotic break. I mean. That's what the second series is about. But when you've got someone like Will Sharp in that case, Chris Morris in this case, who has the ability and the nuance to to deal with that in a, both a sensitive way and also just like a really, really funny way, it's just, it's one of the highest art films as far as I'm concerned. So I'm really glad we got to do the list and, and talk about these films that I think we both feel quite strongly about. Yes. As well, that brings us to the end of the top five. We'll be back very shortly with uh, just a few up-and-coming comedy films that we're looking forward to for the rest of the year. We are back for Act 3. We'll keep it brief, Paul, because I've seen the running time and uh, it's... It's going slightly long, but <laughs> you know, well, we? you know, we're <laughs> betting in with a new format, and who knows, we might just end up doing a longer show, and I'll finally get my way. Um, so uh, I've got some here, Paul, and basically what I wanted to do is just run by you what you can look forward to or avoid for the rest of the year in terms of comedy, and see what you think, and see whether you're excited as the sort of proxy for the general public. Um, first one, and this is one you pointed out to me, is Action Point, which is a sort of Johnny Knoxville vehicle in which um, I think it's based on a true story about a theme park that um, had like loads of daredevil designs and like crazy designs and loads of people got injured at the theme park. Is that right? Um, excited? You've seen the trailer. I've seen the trailer. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm excited, to be honest. I think this just looks like more jackass. To be fair, to be frank, he seems to have brought most of the jackass crew uh, along with him. Uh, and it just looks like more jackass. And if, I'm quite happy to watch Johnny Knoxville throw himself into the side of wooden buildings and fall off of climbing frames for ad infinitum really so yeah i'm looking forward to it it won't be a great film by any stretch but i think it will be entertaining yeah yeah i 
I was going to say both. I totally agree with that on the Johnny Knoxville injury for comic effect point. And then on the other hand, uh, the bowling ball to the balls here is that the meta score is currently 37. So we'll see how that plays out. And I should mention, as I'm going to do with this little rundown, uh, the release date, which we just lost. Oh, hold on. Uh, September, I think. End of August. Yeah, I don't think it's far off. Yeah, I think it's end of the month. August 31st. Yeah, August 31st. Uh, Maybe a little bit more interesting for both of us, Paul, is uh, a release that is going to come out September 28th, not long, which is Night School. This one, Paul, all I need to give you is uh, Tiffany Haddish is in it. So, uh, already. And then a guy that you've come round on, who you used to really not like at all, uh, which is little Kevin Hart. Yes, I think the pair of them together, I think they should have a lot of chemistry and Night School, I think, will be will be very funny. Uh, Tiffany Haddish um, is going to have to go some to beat her Rolling Girls trip in Venice. Um, but yes, I think this will be yeah, a lot of fun. It, it so, looks... yeah, I'm quite excited about this one as well. I didn't realise that was so soon, actually. I thought that was further off, so that's good news. No, it's 28th of September UK release, anyway. Um, it, and it seems like a sort of um, similar territory to something like Community, maybe? Because they're like these troublemakers, they have to go to school so that they can pass an exam, is what I understand the the plot to be as much as we need a plot to hang off a load of like Kevin Hart gurning and Tiffany Haddish just absolutely crushing so yeah looking forward to it um what else have we got here you know feel free to to keep the conversation going Paul as I move between windows yeah, my... I am excited about Super Troopers 2 in, in all honesty which has made Mark Kermode's worst film of, worst films of I the did year, see that honest. yeah I did see uh that. but then also he put a quiet place in his top films of the year so I'm not really sure what he was thinking there um, that place is really good. I think he got a bit carried away, but I think it is a really good film. The first half's good. The second half was not. Um, yeah, so Super Troopers 2. I'm very excited about this. Uh, I very much like the first Super Troopers. I know it's an acquired taste. I know there's people out there who don't like Super Troopers and don't like anything Broken Lizard has done. I very much like Broken Lizard. I like the fact they are unashamedly juvenile and very, very silly. Uh, and yes, I'm very much looking forward to Super Troopers 2. I think it's out very soon. So I, for one, am looking forward to Super Troopers 2, and I don't care if anyone else is. <laughs> yeah, it's going straight in the bin, Paul, is where that's going. Uh, no, to be fair, I don't even know if I've seen Super Troopers 1, so uh, maybe I've got a double bill treat in store for never. Um, I've got uh, for you, Paul, a cuddly animation comedy called Smallfoot. Do you know no. about this one? <laughs> 12th of October release in the UK the reason that I've pulled it up um, because you might think yeah maybe not uh, Smallfoot is about uh, a yeti that's convinced that elusive creatures known as humans really do exist see what they've done there um, right but, it's a neat but the reason okay. that I guess I'm in on this is because the voice cast is amazing um, so we have in no particular order Zendaya uh, from Great Showman of course Channing Tatum Gina Rodriguez Danny DeVito and Paul, James Corden. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, I just looked down the list and I was like, uh-oh, this is a red flag for Paul. You're, you're out at, at James Corden. Um, and Common probably isn't going to convince you to come back on side with that one. But yeah, uh, there will be an audience for Smallfoot. And it might include me, Paul. Who knows? Um, we've also got one here that is nominally a comedy. It's a comedy crime drama. Um, but I want just want to talk about it. So I'm going to put it in the list. That is The Old Man and the Gun. Do you know about this one, Paul? 
this is the next feature film from the director of A Ghost Story, Mr. David Lowry, who I now hold in incredibly high esteem. Um, it is a film that I will describe... Well, my computer has slowed down to an absolute glacial pace. I, I apologise. Uh, it's based on the true story of Forrest Tucker and his audacious escape from San Quentin at the age of 70 to an unprecedented string of heists that confounded authorities and enchanted the public. We've got a breakout, we've got heists, um, we've got uh, Robert Redford, who's about 85 now in the lead role, so um, that's something to behold. Uh, we've got Casey Affleck again reteaming with David, uh, David Lowry. We've got Sissy Spacek, we've got, um, yeah, Danny Glover, all kinds of reasons to be interested, but chief among them is David Lowry, and anything that he does is worth my time. How actually funny it's going to be, I can't make promises, but it it will be released on the 7th of December, at least in the UK. Paul, are you excited from what I've just said? Uh, yes, you said, you said David Lowry, so I'm excited. I keep, Pete's Dragon has appeared on Netflix, actually, which I haven't watched yet. Yeah, neither have I. A live action version of that. So, I'm uh, yeah, I'm very intrigued to very intrigued to check that out. So, um, yes. No, so I think it's, it looks like a half decent year for comedies, to be honest, for the rest of the year. Um, I think. Are you cu- are you cutting my are you cutting my list off at this point? This is so Paul Anderson. Is that oh, have you got more? I thought you'd. I thought you'd. Oh, yeah. I've got I've got a bunch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll keep I'll keep hitting you with them. Uh, you were saying that you wanted more comedies that star common as well as the one that I just uh, described to you. So yeah. uh, I've also got uh, all about Nina. All about Nina. Th- the reason I'm in on this one is because it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I like a great deal and I think has done some really interesting work and like some kind of interesting indie work stuff like um, Faults, for example, spring to mind. Um, so yeah, I don't know uh, really too much to expect about this. We we hear that um, Nina Geld is a bracingly funny and blisteringly provocative stand-up comedian whose career is taking off, but whose personal life is a near-complete disaster. Um, this one releases September 28th. Okay, I'm going to get you with the next one, Paul. This one is okay. Right, heavy Roisu, heavy Roisu, or heavy trip. Paul, you've asked for it and finally it's been delivered. What you've got is a heavy metal road trip movie. Uh, I'm in, yes. This one, of course, uh, (laughs) you you didn't just want a heavy metal road trip movie though, did you, Paul? You wanted one that comes straight out of Finland and that's what you've got. So, uh, yeah, as much as I know, this is already released in Finland but will release in the UK later in the year uh, about a character who's trying to overcome his fears by leading the most unknown heavy metal band in Finland, Impaled rectum to the hottest metal festival of Norway um, in for this one Paul bit, totally bit, they're called impaled rectum so, yeah, impaled rectum so that's a thing I mean that's the kind of release that may show up right down there in the bowels of Netflix at some stage uh, I also want to mention that there is uh, another Tiffany Haddish film coming out before the end of the year excitement uh, ensuing ensuing from us 12th of october we've got the oath the oath is directed by ike barinholtz who's the guy who was like in blockers and you know his face okay yeah yeah kind of yeah, kind of good mean. at gurning uh, that guy i like him um yeah it's written and directed by him the oath what i've got here is in a politically divided america a man struggles to make it through the thanksgiving holiday without destroying his family i think that's going to be an excuse for for tiffany haddish to do some shouting 
So I'm all for that. Yes, anything with Tiffany Hatton shouting is a win in my uh, book. John chose in it as well, and uh, Searching is a film I'll eventually get to review, which uh, was really good. Carrie Brownstein's in this. Um, yeah, people that people should care about if you like comedy and stuff. Uh, so that's good. Um, I don't need to get through all of these. I'm going to pick out one more, Paul, and I'm going to leave you with... We'll go for mid-90s. Why have I gone for mid-90s, you ask, Paul? Well, I will tell you, because this is the feature debut as writer and director from uh, Jonah Hill. You know that guy? I'm aware of Jonah Hill, yes. He's in that Maniac thing coming up on Netflix, isn't he? Oh, that's right, yeah. Uh, This film, mid-90s, follows Stevie, a 13-year-old in mid-90s LA, who spends his summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends that he meets at a Motor Avenue skate shop. That kind of sounds like the setup for This Is England. Is this is is this that like exactly like this a this Jonah England, yeah. Hill comedy? <laughs> this is England set in L.A. Um, a guy that I like a lot, and I don't think you do like very much, is uh, one of the stars here, Lucas Hedges. How are we feeling? Lucas Hedges, he's fine. I think he was good in. Um... It was in Ladybird, wasn't it? He was in Ladybird, but he was also yeah, in in, in Manchester by the Sea, and you criticised the sequence where he gets hit on the head by some frozen food. I did, yes. I still don't rate Manchester by the Sea as highly as other people do. But yeah, so he's good in Ladybird. So yeah, I think he, no, he's very good in Ladybird, to be fair. And he's in that um, new Job Edkin film, isn't he, as well, about gay conversion therapy? Yes, he but... is. Yes, he is. And that's, that's another one. I mean, maybe not the funniest film, so we can't quite squeeze it into this bit. But yeah, definitely one that that I'm looking for uh, looking forward to I should say and there's uh, Under the Silver Lake is that a comedy? well it's described as a comedy crime drama and you said I think that at some point it might be a little bit like uh, Southland Tales or something like that like the Sa- did you say yes. that? or am yes, I just I giving you that credit? Uh, yeah the, the Southland Tales of uh, your boy um, David Robert Mitchell but We'll see. I mean, It Follows was amazing. Uh, I won't hear any other, any bad words about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I don't know if it's going to be that funny again. So sorry if this falls out the remit of this actual bit that we've done. But yeah, there are other comedy movies coming out. I'm sure we've missed some. If we have, let us know tell in us, our comments. Tell us what you're excited about. Tell us what you think we should be looking forward to if we've missed yeah. it. So, yeah. And, and to be fair, Paul, I think a big talking point this week would be on that chart that we did, the countdown that we did in terms of like what are not necessarily just British contemporary comedies but any contemporary comedies that you think maybe don't get enough attention or people don't talk about enough because there are many and I think that oftentimes people kind of overlook or even look down on comedy as a genre so um, yeah it'd be really exciting to see what people have to say apart from that Paul I think we can kind of finish this show I think we can yeah so in the meantime in between now and next week uh, find us on social media at Strangers in the Cinema at Strangers Cinema Twitter at Strangers in Cinema everywhere there is social media we're pretty much there uh, yes, and we'll be back next week with a certainly a review of the new Spike Lee Black Klansman, which I've seen already, so I'm very excited to talk about. Um, yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you think of the new format. Uh, Pete, anything to add? Uh, nothing whatsoever, sir. I will be back in a week's time with you, and I look forward to it right now. Goodbye. Shut up and sit down.